You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Andrew Bartlow, co-founder and managing partner at People Leader Accelerator. MPL family, stop what you're doing and take five seconds to go subscribe to the MPL Weekly Digest. Every week, we'll share the top three takeaways from the episode along with the full transcript. Just go to the show notes for this episode and click the link to subscribe. And now, without further ado, enjoy the show. All right. So Q Hamarani said we had to have today's guest. And uh, it was... We've got a podcast expert on here. So anytime we have somebody on the show that has appeared on previous podcasts, I, I try to listen to at least one of their episodes. And when I did a search for for Andrew on Spotify, I was like, I don't know which one to pick. And my question for you is, Andrew, how many podcasts have you done? I think uh, I think there's 64 that have been released so far, wow. with a few more in the can. Yeah, that's, and that's wow. half as that's many me as we've appearing, recorded. Not not hosting. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. That's a lot. That is well. We were stoked to have you on the Modern People Leader. We got a veteran here. This isn't Andrew's first rodeo, so I'm really excited. I have high expectations for today's conversation. But the good news is we have, uh, pun intended, we have a lot of of traditions on the Modern People Leader. We're going to follow all of those. Our first one is good news stories. We all share a personal work-related story, just something to give a, a little positivity uh, to, to our conversation. Who wants to kick us off? I, I got that. this. I got this. Yeah. Well, hey, I am back in the saddle here in the home office in uh, the East Bay, in the San Francisco area, after a week away in the hills and the hollers and woods of uh, the, the mountains of Northern California. I took my little girls ages seven and nine for four nights, way, way out, and we rode horses and tried to fish and got a lot of bug bites and uh, made some memories all last week. It's not a real camping trip unless one person just got gets completely massacred by the by the bugs. Yeah. So that's amazing. Where where in California? A little town called Quincy, about an hour and a half northwest of Truckee. Long drive. I, I can't advise taking a Tesla that far outside civilization, which I did, but, uh, <laughs> boy, it was, it was pretty great. Oh, that sounds, that's going to be hard to beat. Honestly, I'll, I'll go next. I'm going to go work related. And so closing deals, closing sales is really important to startups and to new businesses. As most of our audience knows, we are still early days at the Modern People Leader. We've grown so much, so quickly, and we have so much content. It, it's hard to believe that it's still under a year of being an actual formal business. And so I have certain metrics that I like to look at, especially like cash in the bank. And it is cool to just see their, have, us having cash in the bank, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I will say. second that. So it my is good nice. news is... We're closing deals. We're bringing on sponsors. We got a variety of different things in the works. And so, yeah, my good news is, man, it's nice when there's cash in the bank when you're a small startup. I agree. High five. 
That, that's yeah. a virtual high five. Thank you. I'll that's take exciting. that. Yeah. So I'm going to go personal. So as of the last, like, I guess couple of months, I've been picking up golf with my wife. And this is like the the first shared hobby that we have. So in the last couple of months, we've already played like two or three full rounds together. We've done several three par courses. We're we're taking lessons together. We're going to the driving range together. We're both like trying to figure out why we're so bad and and how to get better. And um, I don't know. I, it's just so fun sharing that that experience with somebody else and having a shared hobby. And um, we're both on this journey of trying to learn something together, which I'm really enjoying. And it it doesn't hurt that she's kind of crushing it for having even less experience than I do. Like we we went and played nine holes the other day and we tied. And I was like, damn, this is so annoying. She's been doing this for way less time than I have. And it feels like she's picking it up way faster. And every once in a while when I'm playing, I'll see like, you know, a a couple that's like in their late seventies and they're still crushing it and they just look so happy. They're just enjoying being out outside doing something together. And I'm like, Oh, that's goals. So hopefully one day that can be me and Tori, but uh, I'm just really cherishing these, these moments that we're having together right now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Daniel had way more off factor than ours, Andrew, but there you go. So, Andrew, you've had an amazing career. You've worked at some world-class organizations, Fortune 100, some Fortune like 10 companies like Pepsi, GE, Wells Fargo, Diamond Foods. So tell us your story. How did you you start a career in the people space? Take us through the journey of all the amazing enterprises you've worked for and leading up to now having your own accelerator and consulting business. Yeah, well... Thanks for the opportunity to do that. Thanks for hosting me. I've been on a lot of podcasts, yes, but being on your program is a real highlight for me. Some of the people that I respect most have been your guests in the past and was really excited that we were able to make this happen together. So thank you first for that. Um, Shared. Yeah, so the the career story, it's a long one. I'll try to keep it short. I've been doing this almost 30 years, maybe rare in the HR profession. I did not fall into it. I went to school for this. I went to undergrad for it. I went to grad school for it. And I have been on this track, like train tracks, just cruising along my entire professional career since, I don't know, age, age 21, right out of grad school, I was, I was doing this. And maybe a longer origination story for another time about why HR. We can dig into that if you if you really want. But going to grad school at arguably the, the top program for HR, the University of Illinois, tons of CHROs come out of Illinois, great on-campus recruiting. I was fortunate enough to be able to connect up with Pepsi, who was renowned for having one of the top HR programs in the world. They pretty much only hired out of the elite grad schools, and and those HR roles were big and meaty. They had a pretty unique system with individual business units with general managers, and the HR leader and a finance leader would sit next to the general manager. And I was making decisions for a standalone business with hundreds of people and over $100 million in revenue, 
right out of school, which was pretty crazy. So great foundational experience, thanks to my grad on-campus recruiting. That, that was probably highlight number one. If you're thinking of greatest hits, highlight number two came right after where I had my first top job of a standalone company. This is way back during the dot-com boom. A headhunter called me when I was at Pepsi, working late, always working late at Pepsi, who talked to me about a head of recruiting job at a uh, startup. And uh, I listened. I went in for some discussions. I pitched the founders and said, you don't just need a head of recruiting. You need a head of HR. And this is somebody that can help you think through performance and compensation and all of the aspects of managing your team. And they bought it. And they, and they bought me. And so here now at like age 23, 24, I was the head of HR at a standalone company. And we took it from 25 people to 150 or so in less than a year. It really took off. And then the dot-com crash happened and it went to zero. And I laid everybody off and I laid myself off and the company went out of business. But what a massive formative experience to be part of hypergrowth like that early in the career. And that really... That really set me up. Those two foundational experiences, like big company, really high quality function, what does good look like? And then tiny startup where I'm totally by myself in the wild west and, and the the growth and the and the failure. That was another real formative experience. And I just kept bouncing between super high quality big organizations and more entrepreneurial experiences, ping pong, ping pong, for a long time. And then maybe my my last Form, big formative experience. I was the head of the HR function at a company that I helped take public. It's now part of the S&P 500. I joined when it was about 400 people. We took it to about 1,600. It's it's a decacorn or a dragon or whatever the term is for a big valuable real estate tech company. And you know that that's that's the story of a long career having a lot of jobs in a lot of different places and moving around a bunch. And and I'm fortunate enough now to be out on my own. Have started a number of different businesses, People Leader Accelerator is the one that I'm hoping to talk about today, but I just feel really fortunate for having followed that path for as long as I did. Well, I I love the path. I think every every story is amazing and unique, and it's just fascinating to hear like how people have navigated, how how people got to these, these great places they're at. A couple of things about your story jump out. I'm not sure if we mentioned this, but there is a material subsection of the modern people leader community. So HR leaders that are cut from the Pepsi mold, like they, they're alumni, they introduce us to other former Pepsi folks. And, and so that's something that we, we've talked a lot about. I, I feel like I have a connection to Pepsi through all the amazing guests that we've had on this show that that spent time there. So we've we've heard a lot about the reputation, the focus, the the rotational program, the focus on understanding the business, you know, yep. the revenue, the PL, and the impact that's had on the career. The second thing that jumped out at me is a second brand on your your resume, and that's GE. And we had the privilege of having Josh Burson on our show earlier this year. And he and he, I think, talked about it for like five minutes on our on the podcast. How there was a point in the '90s where everyone just wanted to know how does GE do it? How does GE do it? How does GE do it? And so it it 
you know, what an amazing one-two combo. And, and that's, I mean, there are, of course, a lot of other great, like those two alone would have been enough. I, I think the other the other places you stopped at and experiences just just go to show the kind of experience that that you got from grad school to Pepsi to to the other organizations. So very cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. Well, um, you know, go ahead, well, Daniel. I, one thing that jumped out to me: you were ahead of HR at the age of twenty three. <laughs> like that, yeah, that yeah. is amazing. <laughs> I don't think we've heard that from any of the guests that we've had on. And you say it was a, a really formative experience for you. Being an HR leader at that age, like what was your biggest learning coming out of that experience? I imagine trying to gain the the respect of of your team at such an, a young age can be a challenge. I also imagine like you've learned so much since then, and hindsight's twenty twenty. But I just imagine that must have been like a crazy experience, you know, especially going from twenty five employees to one hundred and fifty. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Funny age has played a factor for me for a long time. Like I was always the youngest guy doing everything. I'd finished undergrad early and grad school program early and was young entering college. And so I, I was always the kid at anything I did, but I feel like I, I've been 40 years old forever. And I'd like to think I'm still 40 now looking in the rearview mirror. I was an old 23. It, it was a wild experience, but when you're in it, you don't even really know how wild it is. And there's just work to be done and you figure out how to do it. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate and respect about the startup community here in the Bay Area and, and now beyond, like Austin and New York and others, we have that startup uh, crucible. But there's so many people that are just figuring it out. They're just doing the work and doing the best they can. And that's what I did. And I learned a lot from bo both from grad school, but even more from the School of Hard Knocks. That's for sure. I want to talk a little bit about your your business. And so you you now run a people, an accelerator called People Leader Accelerator. So how long has that been in business? And more importantly, like how do you describe to family members or people that don't aren't aren't in the people space what you guys do at the accelerator? Yeah. Th thanks for the opportunity to pitch it. Yeah, it, it is not a fancy physics collider. It's not that sort of accelerator. It is not a startup incubator accelerator. It is a professional development program meant to accelerate the careers of HR professionals, of people, people like me. So after having done this work at a lot of different places for a long time, I you know, had, had a chance with my co-author to write a book on people practices. At some point around COVID, I figured out more people could use more help navigating their way through this really ambiguous, subjective, hairy work life of being an HR leader. And so from the book, we turned that largely into the framework behind People Leader Accelerator, which is what my partners and I have, have designed as the most rigorous, the most intensive development program for strategic HR leaders at founder-led, venture-backed tech companies. So tiny niche, right? Like that that's not every HR leader in the world, but that's a group that I think I know could really use the support. 
could really use some of that foundational learning that you don't need to go back to grad school to get. And frankly, having been there, you won't get it from grad school, the, the sort of practical learning and application and how do you sort out the founder stuff, the freaky founder stuff? How do you sort out hyper growth and getting stuff done and, and balancing the tasky things with the air quote strategic things? It, so that's, go ahead. It's and I was just gonna say it's crazy. It, it's like overnight the business environment. It felt like the business environment no longer allowed for people to learn over time, like we learned, right? Yeah. And it was like, wait, no, you got you got to do this faster, and you ha also have to master these new concepts that weren't even around five, ten years ago, and and it all needs to be done like now, like literally yesterday. And, and so I can, I can see why someone like you went through your accelerator and like, that's all I needed to hear was like, Q went through this. I was like, wow, this has to be legit because his resume alone is pretty stellar. And so I think that says a lot. And so why should we be jealous that you get to do the work that you, you're doing? Well, don't, don't be jealous. Do it with me. You, I mean, you are doing it with me, right? You're, you you're helping to support. Kind of yeah, yeah, you exactly are. You're helping to support and educate people pros. And that's one of the reasons why I was excited to be part of this, because you do that in a way that's different and deeper and, and better than just about anything else I've seen out there. So thank you for joining me in that. Why should you be jealous? I, I think it's fun. You know, this is the most fun part of what I do. Um, I'm at a point in my career where I'm privileged enough to be able to give back to others. And it's, it's less about what's in the bank account and it's more about what's in the, I don't know, the emotional bank account. Do I feel like I'm being useful? Do I feel like there's something valuable that I'm, that I'm giving to other people in the world? And, and, and boy, this type of support in a small group and deep on a one-on-one -on -one basis has, has just been so massively enriching for me. And uh, I'm going to do this until I can't. Well, I we're humbled for your your kind words and including this in the group of of people that do what we do. And so, Daniel, why why do you think other people should be jealous that we get to do what we do? What's your why? Oh man, I mean, it is fun. Like this is really fun work. I mean, I get to do it with you, Stephen. So it's that makes it even better that I get to do it with somebody that's that I consider a friend, that's a family member, that's a past colleague. I feel like this is really important work. Like you said, Andrew, there's not really you know a playbook that everybody can just roll out. It's going to be unique to every company that's trying to figure it out. Like There might be some things that you can take from this company or this person, but the situation that every company is going to have a unique situation, and the more, I guess... Uh, resources or like starting points. So similar to like how with chat GPT, you can get like a starting point, right? And you can get like 50% there and then you can tailor it however you want. The more that we can do to give people a better starting point, the better. And you also said something that, that caught my attention, emotional bank account. There is no better feeling than the feeling that we have at the end of every one of these recordings that we do. Like every every time we have one of these recordings, Stephen will call me or I'll call him. And we're both like, that was amazing. 
And that's that's the feeling that we have 99% of the time. Like there's very few episodes where we're like, oh, like we could have done better. It's less about that. And it's more about like that feeling that we have at the end of every episode that we record at those connections that we're building. And sorry, that was a long-winded response, but um, this is a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we share all share that re- response. And and I'm like plus one to both of to to what both of you said. Like for me, there's the 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 startup entrepreneurial aspect um with you, Daniel, but there's also this genuine need for help. And if you talk to any people leader, if for those that listen that are not in HR, if you know someone in HR, like call them and just like Ask them how they're doing and listen to what they have to say. Don't offer them any solutions. Just like listen to what they have to say because there's no shortage of challenges and issues and risks and headaches and you name it. And so the ability to kind of help and help a community that has been so open to us and bringing us in and to be able to amplify and uh, and really kind of magnify the impact that people are making like that that's why i think like that is a cool feeling that's like that really good feeling inside that to your point andrew i i'm literally going to do this for as long as i possibly can until it's time for me to not do it meaning no one's listening or i'm too old and feeble but uh but yeah it it is it's amazing to be part of this community right now yeah well, hey, I, I just love to pick up that thread around like how challenging the the work and the life of a uh, people person is of a HR leader. We talk about CEO founders being the loneliest job. Well, at least they get to call some of the shots, right? The HR mm-hmm. leader, it's a subjective, ambiguous role that often operates through influence. Um, you're leading a function. You're you're working on a a lot of different threads at the same time. And who do you turn to? Do you talk about your your boss, the CEO with your boss? No, there's usually no one else in your small organization that that does what you do that you can turn to for help and advice. You don't wanna pull your team into the hairy stuff and ask them for support. And so the head of the HR function, yeah, that's maybe the loneliest job in an organization. Yeah, one of my partners talks about be an emotion. Don't be an emotional sponge. Be an emotional colander. Like let it let it run through you. Mm. The people that have the, uh, the the high service approach or humanistic approach can really end up absorbing a lot of a lot of emotional energy from their organizations, especially now when they're called upon to do some really tough things like layoffs. It's been a perfect storm. So aside from just the role being hard, it's been a perfect storm with COVID, work from home. Now the economic environment is really tightening and, and big tech and startup is being hit harder than than any groups right now. And HR leaders are being called on to do stuff that probably hasn't been a well-developed muscle in in their professional lives. We, we've been on such a tear in a good way over the past dozen years or so that now the the shift is is big and and that's hard that's hard on an HR leader that may have one set of tools and tactics that that now they're they are trying to figure out how to operate in this new environment yeah and you mentioned that the role in itself is just very challenging 
And how many, sorry, I meant to ask you this earlier. How many, how many people leaders have been through the accelerator? I know oh, you've done oh, around yeah. like what, five cohorts. Is that right? Yeah, we are in the final days. By the time this episode uh, launches, we'll probably have started our sixth cohort. Okay. Uh, we've never taken more than 10 people into each cohort. And that's, that's very intentional. This will never be a big business. We, we want it to be deep and intimate and have people get to know each other really yeah. well. Like there, there are people that invite each other to their weddings and go on vacations together. And it's different than a massive community with hundreds of people that, that just connect on Slack. So tends to be strategic HR leaders, again, founder-led, venture-backed tech companies. Gotcha. We'll typically appeal to the head of the function at a series A or B company, or maybe one down from the head of the function at a series C and D company. Yeah, we're continuing to take applications through the middle of July, and we'll kick it off in, in early August. Oh, that's awesome. Congrats. So you've had about 50, give or take, people leaders go through your program. And I'm curious, from all of these HR leaders that are now a part of your community, going back to the role just being very challenging, what are some of the things that they are trying to figure out right now or they're really struggling with? And maybe it's not like the tactical things, but maybe it's more on like the soft skills side. I'm just curious. Like, I'm sure you hear it all in the community. Like, What are some of the things that are top of mind for, for people leaders right now? Well, sadly, top of mind for most folks is, is layoffs and reductions in force. We, we've gone from this war for talent and huge emphasis on attraction and retention and, and employee programs to build a great culture that reinforces people wanting to join and wanting to stay now to cost cutting and looking at, especially in tech, your labor cost is typically 80% of your overall cost. And if you're, if you're burning capital in a high interest rate environment, it is really, really hard to raise another round. And so it makes sense that organizations are tightening their belts, but that is a, a new thing and it's a different thing and it's a hard thing for anybody to do, but especially a people leader that's grown up during the, the go-go days of the, the bull market run. Uh, that, that's been the number one thing on people's minds. And, and Andrew, it's a little confusing for like the lay person out there. Like, how could we have just gone through a round of layoffs? And now what I'm hearing is this is layoff. Like, it, it feels like this is not new. And, yeah. and so now people leaders are planning, expecting more layoffs. And so, so what, what's going on? What's, what's driving that dynamic? Yeah, there, there are a couple of things at play. One, one is founders and leaders are themselves wrapping their minds around the economic situation. And we're starting to see, see some revenue contraction where as companies tighten their belt, B2B SaaS companies, their customers are starting to reduce number of seats or try to consolidate subscriptions. So the revenue number is starting to be hit it's not just proactive uh, cost cutting. You're, you're starting to see it on your on your top line, which then exacerbates any sort of burn issues that you might have. And I'm not a finance guy, but I pretend to be sometimes. I, I know enough to to do the work that I do, but that can be pretty helpful. Like, what is your business going through? What we're seeing is that it took a little while for many tech leaders to get their their minds wrapped around 
higher interest rate environment means it's going to be hard to raise capital. Therefore, we need to extend our runway. How do we do that? We reduce our labor cost. That led to the first round of layoffs. Now Got we're it. seeing wave, wave two, which is revenue contraction. And it feels like now everybody's being asked to do more with less. And we recently had David Landman from, from Goldman on the show. And he has, uh, he has named 2023 the year of retention. So now that companies are probably hiring less and maybe they've already gone through a round of layoffs and they have the people they have who are likely talented folks, they're trying to figure out like, how, how do we do more with less? And I imagine that that's something that a lot of the people leaders in your community are also trying to figure out, like, what are some of the things that they're testing out? Well, um, work from home versus hybrid versus remote, that's, that is hot and bright on everybody's radar screen. Interesting that David, I know David pretty well, where you have so many folks from the People Tech Partners community, and David and I just saw each other at, at Transform a couple months ago. I wouldn't call 2023 the year of retention. Not, not at all. I think this is the year of productivity. This is the year that businesses start to really get their costs in line and understand what will deliver results, what will help them resetting their product roadmap, resetting their org design and their workforce plan and their headcount and their costs to meet this new environment that we're in. And so productivity, I think, is the driving factor on the work from home and hybrid question. And, and we have my, my buddy and co-author, uh, uh, Brad Harris, just, uh, he and I just exchanged some Slack messages yesterday with conflicting studies about are workers more productive working remotely or are they more productive in the office? And you can find- I think I've find, seen some of those same studies. Yeah. You can find studies on either side of the fence. Like you can tell the story any way you want. So we don't have a definitive answer on it. And frankly, it probably depends, probably depends on the type of job and what's happening in your org and how it's being managed. There's, there's probably too many factors to get to a blanket. It works better in a binary way. But I think that is the big question of the day. And there's a lot of cost wrapped up in commercial office space, in travel, in all the perks and programs that you might have with an in-house or a hive-based workforce. So I think this is one of the big questions for orgs to figure out is, is productivity, especially as it relates to a distributed or how distributed your workforce is. Just going back to the conversation earlier, I, I'm a people leader and I'm for for a, a mid-sized tech company, let's, let's call it 500 employee company. So yeah. which is sizable, but not, not huge. And I'm trying to figure some of these things out <laughs> and I need to figure them out pretty quick. And yeah. I, I don't really have the tools in place to give me the answer. Like what are some of the, and I'm under a lot of pressure to, to, to rein in costs and in particular to, to get people back into the office. Let's say we're leaning that way. What are some of the data points that you're seeing that are, that support those decisions? Like under what scenarios kind of do you see that being a clear answer to make? Like, you know what, at a minimum, we're going to go hybrid, but we're going to, we're going to go three, two, three days in the office, two days. Like how, how are people leaders like debating this at that kind of level? Like what are, what are some of the, 
How do you work through something like wow. that? Yeah, w without data, I've seen a lot of people leaders acquiesce to the desires or demands of their senior executives. And a lot of senior executives, Gen X and, and earlier generations are used to the management practices of management by walking around and the convenience of being able to pull together people for a quick huddle. And so it's what, what I'm seeing is a preference by most senior executives that tend to be a different generation than most of the frontline workforce for in-office or more in-office work. Uh, and I've seen the HR leaders, again, in the absence of, of information, in the absence of strong data, ultimately acquiesce. Where I think we can bring some data to the table, and it's not that hard to do. Uh, so I would challenge people leaders that are listening to do your best to capture some of these, some of these numbers. Well, one is, what different labor rate could your organization potentially pay for talent if you're outside your headquarters location? Like if you're Bay Area based and you're paying Bay Area wages, why are you not looking at Texas, Atlanta, Chicago? That, that's just inside the United States, let alone offshore stuff. But inside the United States, you can get 20% plus labor rate differential. And, and this is more for work that can be done remotely, like knowledge workers in the tech field, right? In retail, if you're running a gym, you can't have people working offsite, right? But take a look at, at labor rates. Take a look at um, time to fill. If you're willing to fill a remote job, I just saw a stat from LinkedIn that said like there, there's 10x the number of applicants to remote jobs versus in-office jobs. Like the, the choice of talent is massively larger and you can fill it faster with better talent if you're more open geographically. Geographically, So time to fill, cost per hire, labor rate, th th these are things that are interesting. Take a look at what you're paying for your commercial office space. In, in uh, the Bay Area, Class A office space, typical price per square foot is $100, $150 a square foot per month of rent. And the typical worker gets about 150 square feet. So do the math. It's about $18,000 a year per worker in San Francisco Jeez. Bay Area that you're paying for the commercial office space. That'll vary if you're in different areas and more space, less space. But I've done that math. So 18 grand a year you're paying for the privilege of having that space. I, I have done a series of of blog posts on this. Maybe we could link to it at some point in the in the show notes. I I think hybrid is the worst of both worlds. Why is it the worst? Interesting. Be because you're paying for the office space. That's why that's 18 grand that you wouldn't be paying for otherwise. You're giving up whatever advantages you think you may have by being able to gather people locally in an ad hoc manner whenever you want. Because if you're hybrid, you say it's three days in, but it's actually two and it's a different two for everybody. And, and you're never really able to get your complete team together. So you, you have some real losses there. And maybe most importantly is if you're hybrid at all, you can't be you can't get the geographic arbitrage on the labor cost. You can't hire somebody from Atlanta to be in your office in San Diego three days a week. You just can't. So I, I think hybrid's the worst of both worlds. So at as you were going through 
all of those calculations, uh, I pulled up my notes from a podcast we recorded, I think on Monday with, uh, Roz Francis Harris, who's the, the VP of talent acquisition at Zillow. And she came on to talk about cloud HQ, which is what they've branded their work strategy. So they're fully remote. And she, she was just listing off some of the stats or some of the results, I guess I should say, from from this move that they've made to Cloud HQ. So they these are some of the numbers that she 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 gave us: four x more job applicants than before. The applicant pool looks way different. So women have been fifty two percent of applicants and fifty four percent of new hires compared to forty two and forty three pre Cloud HQ. People of, of of color, so Black and Hispanic people. Both of those numbers went up a good bit too. So for for black hires, they were eleven percent of applicants and fourteen percent of new hires after and before it was eight and nine. I mean, I could just keep going. Yeah. She she gave us a whole list of numbers. So I was also thinking about like the DEIB aspect of it and the impact that you can have there. But um, thanks for <laughs> thanks for uh, giving us all that. I know we're, we're it's a ra- here. It, it's a rabbit hole for sure. The piece I haven't talked about though, and and Stephen, this gets to your question, is the productivity. Right. If, if I'm saying 2023 is a year of productivity, and that's the big question here it, that a lot of senior executives are hanging the decision on, you're more productive if you're in the office more. We think you're less productive if you're in the office less. How do you figure that out? I'd suggest do something local, even if you're in an organization with just a few hundred people, do a simple A-B comparison test. So let's demystify that. What does that mean? Okay. Let's say you have 30 people ballpark in some sort of customer service or inside sales job. Let half of them work remotely and have the other half work in office. Or maybe you do hybrid versus whatever. Find your comparison group and run that for a couple of months, two months, three months, six months, whatever it is, and track the results. Pick a job like customer service or inside sales we have very clear metrics for success, right? You have number of calls handled, you have number of sales made, you have whatever it is, you have a customer NPS on the interaction. So pick a job that you have a multi-incumbent group of people, doesn't have to be a scientific experiment and yes, stuff is gonna happen, but you have one group that does it and one group that doesn't and compare the results. And then you can in theory extrapolate that to other types of jobs in your org. It at least gives you some really solid information where you're piloting something and you can share those results with your senior executives and broader org. Have you seen results like this from companies that have done something like this? You haven't? Okay, yeah. I, I, I love this. And it feels like a very easy, practical thing yeah. to do. Just yeah. curious to see if you actually had seen any like the end result data. What I've what seen, what I've seen is decisions being made based off of belief and gut feel more yeah. often. And that's not just the HR people, that's the executives as well. Well, I, think- I did this way back in the day at Washington Mutual. We did a an A-B test with a sales manager skill building program, and we put half of them in it and, and half of them not. And it was interesting. Like I was the one pushing for the control group test, and senior executives were like, oh, no, we want everybody in this. Like This is the right thing to do. And I was like, well, we won't really know if it works unless we have a comparison point. So how about we do that? Like Maybe we do a staged rollout. You believe it's going to work? Cool. Could I do it with this group three months before the next group? And that gave us like really strong data. 
but have I seen remote work experiment? I haven't, but I would love to hear about it. Yeah, I'm scratching my head why that hasn't been done. It seems like such a, a straightforward thing to do. But one thing that you mentioned earlier, I, I, I can't quit thinking about, and it's a bit of a blind spot for me, seeing as I fall into the group, but your comment earlier that there's a belief or feeling that a lot of these decisions are being driven by a personal preference or, or, or just what is known and what is comfortable by executives that are probably from an older generation, that older generation <laughs> being my generation, which is kind of my, it's hard to wrap my head around that. But Gen X, it, we were forced to work this way. We weren't given any options. It was what it was. We had to do it. And ironically, we wanted a better way. There just wasn't a space to really have that conversation. You know, now obviously things change. And I think that's a, a, a blessing that the younger generations have have brought to the workplace. But now what I'm hearing is it's potentially a lot of change resistant Gen Xers that are that just have a, a preference or a feeling that this is a better way, we'll be more efficient yeah. if we work that way. And that that's a complete blind spot to me. Yeah. It's the it's the known versus the unknown. Right. Why take the risk on doing something different if you know that it worked a certain way, if you were able to meet your financial goals, projections, product roadmap, doing things a certain way? Why take the risk? I get I get that completely. And I probably never I would have fallen in the in-office, rigid, old school way of working had I not worked for a CEO of a startup during COVID. And like immediately we shifted to a fully remote model. We immediately leveraged the cost savings, extended our runway. We we were able to even upgrade in talent in some ways by choosing the the work approach that we chose, and we subsequently exited. We got we're like okay, we know what we need to do, and the honestly the change in work strategy helped us achieve that that end goal of exiting. Yeah. Without it, we probably keep our burn rate high. And we we run out of runway before we can get acquired. And so, but I had to go through that experience. And for me, I don't know what my next job is going to be, but I do know I, I want it to be with a, a fully remote company. And I want to see it like, how do you scale culture? How do you grow and yeah. develop sales operations? How do you create the connection points that that matter most to employees? Like, all I all I have to say is for anyone for those that are still questioning and think that in office is the right way to go but aren't fully convinced on that talk go listen to a Darren Murph podcast and you will quickly learn that the companies that are fully remote are just getting an advantage they're learn they're getting better at that way of working and there's an actual, there's intentionality behind it all. And that's why I want my next job. I 1000%, it has to be fully remote because I just want to be exposed to that. Yeah. And I think this creates a big opportunity for HR leaders to help their organizations figure out what works for them. And it may not be a hundred percent of jobs that are remote or hybrid or whatever, but if, if you can help your org and your senior execs crack that code and figure out what works best for you, you may not get it perfectly right right away. There may and there may be some some course corrections along the way. You can add tremendous value to your organization. Well, um, and, and I 
I want to talk a little bit about that. We've gone totally off off of <laughs> what we plan to talk about, but to kind of bring it back a little bit to that in the having the the day-to-day experience you have of working with people leaders, what expectations of people leaders has have changed recently or put otherwise like what was generally expected what's generally expected of a people leader today that wasn't a year or two ago um well i think there have been a couple of big shifts like at at one point it was more about people ops right you know get get people benefited ensure payroll works handle the problems keep us out of jail right that's compliance people ops stuff um then COVID happened and work from home happened and there was and, and as well as the social equity issues that really reached the broader public awareness and hr all of a sudden needed to be an expert on you know, disease control and pandemic stuff and accommodations for people that want to be masked or vaccinated or whatever and in office and social equity issues and how do you communicate about that like wow that was crazy now shift number 2 is we're in this massive cost control environment where orgs are driving for productivity and keeping an eye on their bottom line where capital is not free or cheap anymore. Capital's pretty expensive. So you're being a lot more thoughtful about how you spend dollars. Those are the shifts. And, and it's been a wild ride for HR leaders. And, and so I talked about this a little bit earlier where HR leaders are being asked to be that productivity expert, be the workforce planning guru, comment on org design in a different way than they were before. It's no longer just about driving morale and a positive culture and talent attraction and retention. This is not the year of retention. I'm going to tell David that. It's not the year of retention. This is the year of productivity and a much tighter focus on that. So I wanted wanted to go back to... A, a comment that you made in our prep call. I think you said there's a risk of operating in an HR echo chamber and not focusing on the foundational things. What did you What did you mean by that? All right. Well, my, we're we're fulfilling my promise to be a little spiky and a little controversial. If I haven't gone there already, here here we go. I've seen through my career and and through my work with with dozens and dozens of HR people. I I do one on one work as well. So it's 100 plus people that I've that I've worked really closely with. There is a strong tendency to get pulled into the bright shiny new progressive practice of the moment. Like the, those are the webinars that people attend. Those are the presentations and the articles that people want to read is what's new in HR. And and it's interesting to me. I'm not, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what's at the root of that what's new thing. Maybe there's a desire to get information first and therefore you add value to your organization. You're able to kind of get ahead of things. I'd suggest that there's a risk to that, that there's a risk of being marooned out like a castaway on HR Island where we focus more on HR-centric stuff than we do on the stuff that will really help our organization meet its goals. And so much of my work is is around helping HR people get their priorities and their activities closely aligned with the goals and priorities of their organization. Like, what's your organization trying to do? What's its mission? What's its vision? What are the three goals you're trying to deliver this year? Make sure that the stuff that you're doing, like 
directly and logically lines up with those organizational priorities. And I, I feel like we've lost our way in, in a lot of ways. Like we keep talking about the, the new stuff and we're not yet brilliant at the basics in many of those orgs. So I, I don't know, I guess it's a little bit of a mystery why we're so easily distracted in a, in a common way. But I, I think that's one of our larger challenges is to refocus. And, and maybe this market shift encourages more of that. We, we just published an episode earlier this week with Crystal Boyson, the CPO at, at Vimeo. While they do want to do some of the more sexy and innovative things, she said their number one focus for the year is getting brilliant at the basics. And I'm curious, like what, what are some of these basics that you think are maybe being ignored or not being given as much attention as they should be in favor of some of these, I guess, sexier projects that they could be working on? And, and I have to admit, we're the modern people leader. Like we have a tendency to want to talk about like the fun, new, exciting yeah. things. And we have to remind ourselves sometimes, like maybe we need an episode, every other episode where we're talking about the basics. Like, I guess the assumption that we're making is that people are already brilliant at the basics, but, um, I just like, there's so much yeah. that you have to be brilliant at just to nail the basics. So what are some of those things? Well, and just to comment on um, maybe why people get distracted by it, or there, there are a lot of people in HR that have fallen into this work that didn't study it in school and don't have like multiple certifications and don't have 20 years. There are a lot, it's, it's a pretty common story how you fell into HR. CFOs don't fall into finance. CFOs have an extensive track record of training and certifications and CPA um, qualifications to do that work. And maybe there's something there where we're sponges and we're trying to absorb whatever's going on. But I feel like there's often this gap in the basics because we don't have as many people in the mid, in the mid levels, mid and early career stages of our function that are really trained in HR. And that's where you get the basics. That's where cutting my teeth at Pepsi and GE, I learned that some of the basics are goal and role clarity, alignment of priorities. So like who's doing what, what are we trying to accomplish? That is a big role of an HR leader is helping the organization to organize and helping to communicate and align throughout. And that can lead to incentive plans, and that can lead to org design, and that can lead to workforce planning. How many people do we need to do X, Y, Z to actually get it done? Like, how do you organize your product engineering and design team? How many engineers do you need? Th those are the, some of the things that you could look at. Not being afraid of the financials, so you, you actually understand what your labor cost is, what you're paying for facilities. So not to overcomplicate it, what are the basics? How does your org make money? Who does what? What's important right now? Th those are a few. Patrick Lencioni, author of Five Dysfunctions of a Team and uh, The Advantage, he lists the six critical questions for clarity, really likes the C's, critical questions for clarity. It's like what, and some framework like that, whatever it is, like in your next offsite, just getting clarity on what's important right now who's doing what, and they do some other things like how do we behave, why do we exist, stuff like that. But that's that's a basic in HR. And if you wrap it all around 
the idea that HR exists to help your organization meet its goals, you're more likely to stay on track versus answering the next vendor phone call or copying the latest cool program that some company way bigger and richer than, than you has done. Sometimes I wonder whether the fact is, <laughs> if you're an accountant, right, there's a, a pretty consistent career track for, for an accountant right? A finance person. You you have this major, you get these additional, there's continuing education, you get the certifications, and then you do very specific things. I, I feel like that's less the case in, in the people space. And to your point, I think you kicked off by saying, I'm one of the rare ones that actually went to school yeah. for this, then went to grad school, yada, yada, yada. And so I, I feel like that part of why there's this propensity to not focus on the basics is like, well, I don't have time for these old institutions like SHRM to teach me or these old outdated kind of, I don't know, like cumbersome and archaic feeling ways yeah. of getting ramped up on the basics. And so I'm just going to wing wing it and I'm going to focus on the cool things, right? Yeah. And and I, I, again, that's no knock to the people out there that, that are coming in from a different background. I was an accidental HR per person. And so, uh, but I, I just think there's like a gravitation to what's easy or more, maybe more appealing. And when you throw like a social media, the cloud and all of that on top of right. everything, it, uh, it I, I, you're right. It, it's like we, sometimes it's like we, it feels like we're focusing on everything other than the basics. Yeah. And it's like, what are we actually out here doing? Well, a, a lot of that comes from, I guess I'll tie it back to being strategic. A lot of that comes from taking our direction from the people that, that are asking for something from us. CEOs, most don't have an HR background. Very few do. I'd like to see more. Shout out to Michelle Wagner and, and others that are HR people that are now CEOs. But our bosses don't know what good looks like in our jobs. They do know what good looks like in a CFO or COO. They don't know for an HR leader. Employees don't really know what HR, what good HR looks like. What they do know is they have a question or a concern that needs to get addressed. So there's like a customer service need where you're going to get pinged. Mid-level managers, likewise, their interaction with HR is as a service provider where they need something. They need to know a policy, a program needs to be delivered. There's an employee relations issue or performance management problem. So I think by virtue of us as, as professionals in the function, not really being as steeped in, in understanding what the work is, we let ourselves get yanked around by our various constituents and view ourselves as more of a service provider. And we, and I come across this all the time with people that I support, like there, there's this propensity to serve and you view your value as being somebody that's like really easy to interact with, super high level individual contributor, high level customer service. But customer service jobs aren't paid as well, aren't as influential as general manager jobs. Like the, the pairing that I might make is if you are not allotting a certain amount or allocating a certain amount of your time to thinking about what should you be doing, then you'll be more likely pulled into the lower value, tactical, executional 
service delivery work. And you should be spending, if you're strategic in any way, you should be spending a, a decent amount of your time trying to figure out what are the most important things. Maybe nobody's asking for it. Probably nobody's asking for it. Your job as a strategic HR leader or a senior executive is to decide what your function will work on and to figure out how you can add value. So if you're mostly saluting and, and delivering against demands, then you're probably missing out on some opportunities. This is so timely. So this is making me very excited for a conversation that me and Steven are going to have on Friday. So we're, we're doing a group episode and we're having on a CMO and a COO, COO. And we're going to talk about how HR can align themselves closer to revenue and how HR, like what, what HR can steal from marketing departments, sales departments, or from a COO in almost rebranding the department as uh, less of a service organization and more of a strategic function, like you're saying. So uh, you're just getting me hyped up for Friday. Love it. Yeah, and we're, we're you know, unfortunately, we're out of time, so we can't dig even further into that, but we are aligned on the fact that by the importance of focusing on the, the fundamentals and what matters most to the organization, which many times is the, those aren't the buzzy trends that you're seeing on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, it's just not. So with that said, we got to turn the corner, Andrew. It's been, if we just, I just got caught up in the back and forth conversation, but we, we have a couple more traditions uh, before we, we let you go. Next up, we have rapid fire questions. So I'm going to ask you the same set of questions that we ask other people leaders. First question, if you could go back in time and talk to a 22-year-old Andrew, what career advice would you give yourself and why? Um. I've got a, I've, I've got a whole Cal Newport delayed gratification thing. Give a talk on this to, to my grad school program. Check that out on LinkedIn separately. Different piece of advice. Your network is probably more important than your work in growing your career. Happy to expand on that, but boy, that was being heads down for years and working 12 to 14 hours and just grinding it out, doing the work. As my network has expanded, my opportunities expanded exponentially. And nobody really cared whether I spent that incremental hour or two in the office or did the extra thing on the job. Love that. Love that. If you could fix any HR people problem with a magic wand, what would it be and why? I think there's something meaningful there around performance and productivity. Bringing visibility to performance, productivity, include retention there. I, I think our performance review processes are broken. I think our employee survey processes love a lot about culture amp and lattice but they're not as timely, they're not as lightweight as they need to be to be really effective. Like what we need is some sort of way to look into the org and figure out who needs help in a, in a way that we can do something about it and be a lot less concerned about anonymity and psychological safety. Like if you need a help, if you need help, let's, let's figure out how and get you that help. Love that. 
could also spend a whole episode on that topic as well. The last question, is there anything you believe to be true about the world of work, but you don't yet have the data to support it? Well, we talked about the work from home distributed work thing. You know, that that's an obvious opportunity to dig into. Um, a, another area that I don't think we have as strong data as I'd like to see is around one-on-ones. I, I think that is the magical management tool uh, that helps keep people aligned with those most important things, provides those most important employment experiences. And so I, I'd like to understand better how to, how to gauge one-on-one quality. I can figure out completion, but quality of one-on-ones is something that I'd like to have a better read on. That's a yeah, good like what are the what are the qualities of effective one-on-ones, the yeah. the one-on-ones that have a tr- transformational impact on people yep. and the business? Yeah, love yep. that. All right, so last question for you. Who do we need to have onto the show next? Um, you have had just an amazing array of guests. Caitlin Cam was also part of People Leader uh, Accelerator. Q has been part of it. Adam Ward is one of our SMEs. We, um, we, uh, we, we share a network here. There are a few people that I, I looked up in preparation for this question, and I cannot believe you haven't had any one of these three people on. So please get them on. Seda Howard, formerly Chief Talent Officer of IVP, one of the biggest VC firms, has now started her own VC firm. Get Seda Howard on here. Amazing. HR person turned investor. Uh, two, Natasha Kemenkar, Chief HR Officer at places like OpenTable and App Annie, has started her own strategic HR consulting firm with a specialty on diversity and inclusion. And she has a strategic mindset which wraps in DEI and B issues. I think she's just fantastic. And we work with her at, at People Leader Accelerator. And, and third, Jesse Freeze. Let's let's expand you into the startup experts world. Jesse works at Sequoia, but he started a, a big and popular community of early stage HR leaders called Startup Experts. And there are about 800 members in that right now. So you're you're super deep into people tech partners. That tends to be mid and late stage tech companies. Jesse is the founder and leader of earlier stage tech companies, this community of support for finance ops, but mostly HR pros. I'm excited to have all three of them on the show. I Me too. I pulled up, I, I opened up a new tab and went into me and Steven's weekly meeting document and we have a we have a section where we talk about like who we're gonna invite onto the show next. And I dropped all three of those names in there. So thanks for the recommendations. All right, so on to our last tradition, which is one word or phrase close. We all respond with a word or could be more than one word from the episode that we want to close with. Does anybody have anything? If not, I can I can take it. I'm going to say the year of productivity. I like, I like it. Somebody really smart must have said that one. I think so. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll, I'll steal a quote from Dave Ulrich, father of modern HR. HR is about helping an org meet its goals. HR is not about HR. 
HR is not about HR. I love that. And I love that you, you're quoting the founding fathers of HR. This is, I mean, you guys are making it possible for me to close the show now though. This is, this is hard. I want to go with, get back to the basics. I really, I think that that is the the thing that I'm going to walk away from this conversation from, but there's so much more, Andrew, this was an absolute blast. We literally spent 20% of our conversation on what we thought we were going to talk about, but <laughs> it did not disappoint. Thank you so much for, for really an engaging conversation. And uh, hopefully you'll be open to, to joining us in the future and coming back. Would love it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for, for tuning in to another episode of The Modern People Leader. We, we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We want to we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can, you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and, and see you on the next episode.